Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. I'm your host, Ani Lee. My interest in fiber goes back to childhood, when I'd pore over bedding catalogs and obsess over fiber content and thread count. My mother, bless her, taught me to knit at age 10, and I've fallen increasingly in love with all things fiber ever since. I started the Close Knit Podcast in 2016, and I've had the pleasure and privilege of speaking to over 50 incredible people since then. On this podcast, you'll hear from all kinds of folks who share a love of fibers, from full-time practicing artists to those whose main practice is mending their garments. I'm interested in hearing and sharing as many people's stories and experiences with fiber as I possibly can, because I believe each of these unique stories is powerful and teaches us more about how humans use fiber to make sense of the world around us. This podcast is supported by a very special community on Patreon. Pledging just $5 a month there helps me keep Close-Knit up and running by covering hosting and streaming costs and paying my wonderful editor. I cannot thank you all enough for your support, as it's what enables me to sustainably continue this work. So if you've ever enjoyed an episode, please consider pledging your support at patreon.com slash closeknit. That's www.patreon.com slash closeknit. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I am here with Zach Foster. Zach was raised in rural North Carolina and now is living in Brooklyn, New York. He's a self-taught textile artist whose work draws on Southern textile traditions while incorporating found fabrics and natural dyes. He practices an approach to design that is intuitive and improvisational, and he is drawn to preserving the stories of quilts and specializes in memory quilts. His work has been featured in various magazines, websites, and galleries. Hi, Zach. Hi, Ani. It's nice to be here with you today. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I like have been looking forward to this for a while. I actually like took a big break. Uh, I like started a new job and gave myself like kind of a a little bit of a buffer. I sort of recorded my episodes in advance so that I could have time to be like, I'm starting a new job (laughs) and just freaking out about that a little bit. So it's been a couple months since I've like recorded and I've been really excited about our conversation for that whole time. Well, I'm happy to be your guest on the first podcast back. So this is nice. Yeah, stoked. So I've been thinking about this and I wanted to ask you this question because I was like, you know, from my end, it looks like Zach is producing a lot more, I'm going to put this in air quotes, content, you know, (laughs) content, internet content, right? Like in my eyes, you've been like super present on social media and I'm seeing you putting a lot out there in terms of just like visibility of you and your work. And it occurred to me that like, that could be totally what you're doing. And it also could be that I didn't see it before, like for whatever, you know, the the algorithm, this, that, or the other. And I was curious from your perspective, has that been a primary focus for you in the last year or, you know, these like last few months or something or kind of what it's like from your end? Ani, what a beautiful question. Because you and I, we've we've kind of been floating in similar orbits for a few years now. You know, I know that base here and there. So you do, you've you've seen kind of the, the arc of my social media presence and my my creative career at the same time. There are multiple threads to answer that question. One is, of course, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We have more time and we are all hungry for connection with other humans. And so that's one of the threads. 
Another one of the threads deals with one of my favorite yoga instructors on YouTube, which you may know, or people listening may know yoga with Adrian. I have heard of it. Very good things. Yeah. (laughs) And what I love about Adrian, I could be doing yoga with anybody, but what I love about Adrian, there's just something about her perspective, her personality, her energy, that it's not just yoga. It, It really is a whole niche form of yoga. It's yoga with this person. And so then I started thinking, well, could I do something similar? Because it just it could also be not just textiles, but textiles with Zach. And what would that look like to bring my full person into my social media presence and not just my work? For a long time, it was work forward. And now I'm more person forward, I would say. And so that was a keen observation on your part. That's been something intentional over the last year, for sure. That's super interesting to me because it's I think I kind of personally like just fell into sharing on the internet and it never really occurred to me or it's only occurred more recently to me that like you can make a conscious choice (laughs) around how you share because I think the way I shared and, and less so these days, but, but especially when I first found social media and was like in my early twenties, I was just like, this is me. This is everything. These are all my feelings all the time. Good, bad, ugly. Here I am crying. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and I really think like, you know, there's lots of like social media serves function, different functions for all sorts of people, but it's, it really didn't occur to me that there could be like a specific way in which I could like share about what I'm knitting or what I'm making. I just sort of like, was like, I'm I'm making a thing. (laughs) Here it is. And I'm, you know, it's also happens to live within the context of like my life. And those things sort of never it never occurred to me to sort of like make that boundary line, you know? One thing that I ran across in the last few months is this idea, and it's from the guy that does Gimlet Media. I can't call his name at the moment. Yeah. But um, he says, somebody asked him about like, how do you be yourself in a podcast? And he says it took some time, but the way he frames it is, I'm just trying to be my personal self in a public space. And I like thinking about that. Like I, the person you see on Instagram really is me. I'm not going to give you all my deep and dark, dirty secrets. Nobody wants that kind of drama. But what you are getting is what I am happy to share with everybody. Yeah. I think there is a really, there is really quite a lot of thought and sort of an art to figuring out what that is. I really am so impressed by you. And I think, and Grace Rother comes to mind. There are just, there are people in my life and that I know on social media, who I think have such clear vision for what that is. Like, I think sometimes I'm like, oh, is this is this true enough? Is this authentic enough or something? And I really admire when people have sort of thought through, like, this is this is true to me. And I feel really confident and comfortable that this is the amount of personal context and, you know, just that sort of thing that they're comfortable with sharing. I think that that it's worth acknowledging as being something that takes like personal work and thought to like get to. Yes. And anybody who's thinking about that, because I I hear from time to time, they're like, oh, you're so natural in front of the camera, et cetera, et cetera. Go back and watch some of those early Zach videos. They were not cute. Like (laughs) I was like tense and awkward and like, and sometimes I still am because Mm -hmm. I'm just not as comfortable with the topic or the format or whatever the case may be. Right. right. So it's like any other skill or any other muscle, you get better with practice. I know. I appreciate you saying that too, because I've been thinking the same thing about like, God, you're good in front of the camera. Like, wow, you are super natural, like just very, very natural. And you seem super at ease. You seem ready for whatever kind of conversation is unfolding, whether you're guiding it or somebody else is like, dang, Zach, like, 
that's amazing. But I feel that way too with like with a podcast and with stuff I share online where I'm like, some people have told me like, oh, I can, I've listened back to the archives and I can hear how you've improved as an interviewer. It's funny because there's this like, there's a self-conscious part of me that's like, oh, it mean it must mean that it was bad back then. But like, I know it was not that good back then. Like it was different and I was learning and I want to always be in a space of of learning and being open to that learning and, and changing, you know, like it would be really sad if my podcast sounded exactly the same as it did six years ago, you know? I, I think too, that I'm also a full-time public school teacher for the time being. Yeah. And an idea that often gets talked about in education is that content is one thing and pedagogy is another, right? Knowing the information is one thing and being able to share it is another. And I feel like being an artist and on social media are two very separate skill sets as well, mm. right? It's one thing to make quilts. It's another thing to talk about quilts and to do that in a way that's engaging with, with people. And I think that was also maybe to go back to your original question, maybe a third thread mm. to the answer to your question, which is I wanted to think, or I used to think early on that my work should speak for itself, that people should be able to look at my quilts and just know what I'm thinking, you know? And um, I, my view on that has shifted over the last year, especially, because I feel as I'm working a certain, often I feel a certain kind of intuitive connection with my projects. I feel like I get some intuitive understandings from the process of what I'm making. And I feel like those need to be verbalized. Like maybe you can look at a particular quilt that I've made and sense a nuance intuit something yourself but I think that yeah the work speaks for itself but also it can use a spokesperson and so that can be me totally the work can speak as far as a person's lived experience and understanding of the world informs how they then interpret your work but if you have something in particular that you want to get across I think you know it may be the case that the feeling comes across regardless but maybe there's something really sweet or particular or something you noticed very particularly while you were making that you wanted to share. And that I think that that's a really special way to, to engage with, to have people engage with your work. And that's what got me started doing all those quilt tour videos. I don't know if you've seen those. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So it's, it's this idea that quilts were telling me things and I was like, well, it can't stop here. Let's turn it out, you know, turn it around. And so when I finish a quilt and it's up on the wall, I will just sit down in front of it with the camera and I'll tell you, Various things, depending on the project. I will tell you what I see when I look at the quilt top, for example, or I'll tell you more about the process and then we'll look at details together and we'll get kind of practical. You know, folks, that, I know folks always want to know, how does that happen? How do those two pieces fit together? Whatever. <laughs> so we, always, we also get practical. So it's everything from the macro level to the micro level. But the whole thing is just very narrative. It's very... Just kind of, if I were FDR, it'd be kind of like a fireside chat, you know, just kind of like me just sitting and chilling with you talking about quilts for five minutes. I love that. I also have to say that there have been multiple times where you've posted like just a short, these were how these two pieces, like maybe a concave and a convex piece fit together because that's, that is something I've been like, you know, very vaguely quilting. Some people have taught me to patchwork to do improvisational patchwork in the past. And I just, for the longest time, was so boggled at how things that weren't just a line against another line came together. I just had no idea. And you one day posted like a 15 second video where you were like, see this piece and this piece? Like these, this is, you had to make sure that you cut out the same shape and then you got to put them together and they're not going to look like they're going to sew together, but they do. And I was like, it was such an aha for me. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. All you got to do is iron it out. 
Just iron it'll work. It's amazing. It was amazing. It was honestly amazing. I just didn't the concept. I you know tried to Google it. All these things. I just it had not clicked for me. It really hadn't. I love that. Yeah, I would love to hear. I feel like you've been exploring some more specific ideas with your quilts lately, with like memory quilts and most recently burial quilts. Can you talk us through both of those? Yeah, let's let's go there. Let's go there. Cool. You know, I don't know where my interest in memory stems from. It might very well be that I don't have a good one. And so mm-hmm. that's why I'm interested in when fabric has stories and when people have stories connected with that fabric, I want to find ways to keep them intact. And so about a, I mean, I've made memory quilts for years, but I haven't really seriously considered it as a separate art form for myself until about the last year. Um, I think there's something very special and very sacred about working with people and preserving their stories and their memories. And when people are willing to hand over a box of the, the clothes of a loved one who's passed away to a perfect stranger, that perfect stranger being me, when they're willing to do that, when they're willing to trust me that much, there's a really special thing happening there. And I feel like when I can tap into that special thing, when I can tap into that energy, different work comes out of the process. The memory quilts I've made in many ways feel and look different than the quilts that are just me playing around with fabric that are also beautiful, but in a different way. I just feel like I'm starting from a different starting point Mm -hmm. when I'm working with fabric that has been lived in and fabric that has been entrusted to me. And so when I realized that one, creatively, this is very interesting to me as an artist to work with this energy, but two, as a human who is interested in making the world a better place, I feel like I could use that to help people find some kind of, I'm not even going to say closure, but some kind of something, some kind of things coming together around loss, especially in the middle of a pandemic, when so many people weren't able to have the funerals and the ceremonies that they would normally have. A quilt can be a a stand-in for that and provide some kind of comfort. You know, I, I say that all quilts provide comfort. They keep you warm and they're cozy, but I'm not sure all quilts provide some kind of solace, you know, some kind of like deep soul comfort. Mm-hmm. And I feel like memory quilts can do that. Yeah. And so that's what I've been working with a lot the last few months. Yeah, that's really, I mean, they're really special. All, like you've said, I I feel like all of your quilts have a really unique they're doing a unique thing, but the memory quilts in particular, kind of this, that relational exchange between you and a person who's mourning. And I I think too, this comes up a bit on the podcast. And just as I'm like talking with friends about like, what are our structures for grief? What do we, what we haven't really like institutionalized anything for like space, space, spaciousness for grief. We don't get time off to grieve. We don't, you know, there's just all of these things. America is very cruel when it comes to the actualities of just like being a human person. And particularly with the, the like something, something as heavy as a death. I think it's, it's not something that like, feels super comfortable to talk about and isn't, at least for me, it doesn't feel like something that anybody around me ever really spoke about or I didn't learn about in school or, you know, it just like hasn't been societally, like it hasn't been something we've, we talk all that much about. So to have more ways, I think it's really special when people start to kind of carve out these like gentle ways of beginning to engage with grief like it might not be that you you have this like long exchange or you might not have words 
about that grief that maybe you have, maybe you're helping move through that feeling. And each memory quilt feels so different. I mean, it just depends on who I'm working with. Some people tell me nothing about the loved one they give me clothes for. Some people, we t- we walk around the neighborhood for two hours and I'm listening to stories about the loved one. Some people give me a box of photos. Some people mm. make me a playlist of the loved one's favorite music. And, and, and it's all fruitful. Like I can work with anything. I can work with a little or I can work with a lot as an artist. You know, I'm happy to work with whatever anybody gives me. But I am happy to be that person because I do feel like you, that we don't talk about grief enough, that we don't hold space for it enough. And because we don't talk about it, it's harder to talk about. So it becomes mm. a compounding problem. Totally. And so I'm interested, especially, I've been interested in years in this idea of a burial quote, but especially lately, mm. I've been more formally talking about it in public because I want to help create the space in the conversation. And I want there to be just, I don't maybe a softer, like you said, more natural way to think about death. My my interest, I think what planted the little seed years ago was a story on NPR, mm. Power Radio. And it was about a woman who had passed away and her friends, according to her wishes, just wrapped her up in one of her old favorite quilts, nothing special as far as we know, put her in the back of a pickup truck and then drove out to the woods and buried her in the woods. Probably some wildflowers and some tree branches or something, you know? And that was it. And I remember when I heard that story, this could have been 15 years ago, who knows how long it was. But I remember when I heard that story, I'm like, that's the way I want to go, right? Don't put me in a box and don't burn me up. Like it's, listen, these choices around end of life is deeply personal for everybody. So everybody's going to have their own thing. I just, in that moment, discover what I wanted. And I think if I want that, maybe somebody else wants it too and would like to talk about that. And so I already have my own burial quilt picked out. It's not completely done. I've got the top done. So I need to quilt it because, you know, you never know, but (laughs) I need to get that finished. And just knowing that my burial quilt is there provides one known factor in an experience full of unknown factors. And that for me brings just a little peace of mind to the whole situation. And it gives me a way to talk about it with other people, right? Like, Look at this beautiful, colorful, soft thing that I've had on my bed for years. When the time comes, don't freak out. Just take this quilt and wrap my body up in it. And that and that'll be just what I that's exactly what I want. No need to get fancy. Yeah. That really, yeah, I'm feeling a lot about that because I I've thought a lot too about like I'm compostable, right? Like I want you to compost me basically <laughs> for lack of a better word, but that sounds so gross. You know, it sounds so like, or I think the reaction was probably generally speaking like, Ugh, can you do that? Like, is that okay? Because we've kind of like hyper sanitized the process in our world of like, you get inside a box that gets buried under the ground and no one ever has to deal with it again. And the closest that I could think of in terms of like coming, being put back was to have be cremated and it's lovely to think that there's I feel like sometimes I see like Facebook ads or something for like mycelium coffins like yeah. to become a mushroom and I was like that seems cool like <laughs> I don't know being like you know decomposted by our you know plant friends that are very good at decomposting but uh, composting rather but I had never considered a quilt which yeah. seems so apt for how I self-soothe mm-hmm. in this life, you know, like been self-soothing with textiles, whether I realized it or not, since I was like really little. Yeah. 
And it seems really, really special to think about that. And really special too. I love that you were, what you said about like bringing a little bit of known into something that's so unknown. Like, I think it feels to me like I might get scared about the idea of like planning my own funeral or planning the context around that. But just that one thing, just, just the quilt. That's mm-hmm. one thing. And it's a special thing that you already love doing, you know, like something that is already part of your practice. It is something that's so natural to you and feels good to engage with. So like, why not open the door to that thing with something that already feels good to you? Exactly. And maybe, you know, burial quilts can be so many things, but what if your burial quilt are made, is made of fabrics of your favorite colors? Or what if mm. it's uh, fabric from your mom and your dad and your grandma and clothes they wore? And like, you get to kind of take that with you. Like, that's a beautiful thing, you know? I don't know. It just, to me, ever since I heard that story on the radio, it just made way more sense than letting somebody put my body in a box that looks more like a car than than (laughs) anything else, you know? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me anymore. Yeah, yeah, totally. Of course. And like, I think it's so valid, whatever people are feeling about how they want to experience that part of their life or they want others to experience that part of their life. But I love the idea that you're, you're holding space for people to just start to, to nibble on it, to like, think about it a little. And like, yeah, I thought it was so special the way that you, again, with like the way that you're approaching making content in air quotes (laughs) on the internet, it's like the video you posted where it was like kind of audio narrated around a video of you out out in the world holding your your quilt. I just, I'm so appreciating people who are thinking really creatively about how to kind of take the limitations of our phones and make it something feel, like make it feel somehow really different and new. Like it's, yeah, people post videos with audio all the time, but something about that like distanced narration of the thing that was occurring, it just felt different somehow and really it felt really sweet to me and really creative. Well, thank you. Yeah, that that was an intentional choice. I don't know if I set out to do it, but it was, wait, I think I just contradicted myself, but <laughs> it was a choice I made at some point in time because I wanted it to, when you Google burial quilt, nothing comes up, mm-hmm. right? Like we don't have those conversations about burial quilts. So I'm like, people are going to need to know, I, I want people to know where I'm coming from with this. I want people to know my idea and my vision for what these can be. And so I'm like, I need to talk to people. And I want to do that more than just a caption of text underneath the video. And so that's where that came from. Yeah, it was very effective, I guess, is for lack of a better word. It was very effective. You got one more coming out this week. I filmed a new one this weekend and it's gorgeous. It has my burial quilt in it. Oh, good. Oh, I'm excited to see that. That's super exciting. Zach, I'd love to know, I always like to know about people's kind of earliest memory of textiles and like how they got their start with textiles. There's usually some kind of family story, but sometimes there isn't. (laughs) I'm just super curious about what your, I guess you just told me you don't have a very good memory. (laughs) I know know the broad strokes. I know the broad strokes. Okay, good. (laughs) I would say that, I mean, I usually think of it in terms first of geography. You know, I was, I was born in the central Piedmont of North Carolina, Mm. you know, in a town, Winston-Salem, that was known uh, for tobacco, obviously, if folks are familiar with Winston and Salem cigarettes, but also for textile production, Mm. right? And so I grew up in this stew, in this economy 
where people just went to the cotton mills and they wove fabric. Wow. Now, by the time I'm coming around, I mean, because that, that all ended in the 80s with NAFTA and stuff, really, right? Okay. We're not we're not weaving cotton in Winston anymore. Gosh, that's sad. But yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I, by the time I came around, I didn't have family members that were actively engaged in the textile industry. Mm. But you don't have to go back very many generations. And you're like, oh, great grandma was a quilter and a sewer and great grandpa was a grower and he was a farmer, you know? And so I find it very interesting just to scratch under the surface a little bit about my family roots that way. And the only quilting story that I can verify from my family comes from my dad's mom, who, when she was a newlywed, sat out under an oak tree of her mother-in-law's house and they had a quilting. And sitting outside just sewing on that quilt together and that's it and she's like I don't remember her ever making more than one quilt I don't even remember if it was a good quilt but there was that so there is some anchor point in my in my family for quilting I would say my personal earliest memory I was probably like five-ish in that neighborhood we went to the other grandma's house my mom's mom and she made a ton of clothes you know she she was the mother of eight children Right. Mm-hmm. Like she and she made a lot of their clothes. And so I remember going over to her house when I was young and she had her ironing table set up and the kitchen table was covered with a dressmaking pattern, you know, the real thin onion skin kind of paper. And I just remember being mesmerized by that pattern paper. The material of it, I, I love material in whatever form. So the material, the actual paper of it being so thin, the tone, the richness of the hue of the paper, the lines, all the different lines for the different sizes. It was all just very fascinating to me from even a a young, young age. And so I would say that is my earliest memory of sewing and like, oh, this is, this is a thing people do. My grandma does it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. The the family, I always love that because people often, whether they've thought actively about it or not, like they have some kind of relational element to textiles. They have somebody in their family lineage who they remember vaguely at some point doing something, whether it was like, maybe she crocheted a blanket or, you know, was like working on a doily, just these like very vague recollections. It's like really special to me that we all kind of have some kind of, some kind of connection to it, even, even if we don't realize it at first. I feel like that's a really sweet, it's a really sweet and special thing to think about. And if you're not sure whether you have those connections, never hurts to ask. Yes. You know? Yeah. yeah. Ask your mom, ask your dad, ask grandmas if it's not, if it hasn't been too long, you know, and just see. Yeah. You know, it's. They're out there. Sometimes you just got to ask for them. That's so true. And it's so interesting because I've, in my own family, like all of my grandparents were either not alive before I was born or like they had passed before I was born or they died early in my life. Like my last living grandparent was my grandfather, my grandfather on my mother's side who had the same birthday as I do, but 80 years prior. I love that. Really cool. Yeah. yeah that was always real. I thought that was like the coolest, coolest possible thing, but there's, we don't, I don't know. We, my, my dad's like pretty quiet. And, and recently like my partner has been talking more with my dad and he'll just ask questions. And then my dad starts talking and my dad has these really bonkers stories about our family, you know, like the way that the family, you know, the, the history of the family. And I ended up like Googling my grand, my great grandmother and finding that like some distant 
relative of mine made a website that just sort of talked about like a migration path that our distant family took way, way, way back when. Like I, I just, my mind was blown. I was like, why would I, like in what world would I, my great grandmother be Googleable? Like it was just my first instinct. I was like, I'm just going to try it. I'm like, her name is so beautiful. Like maybe, maybe somewhere. And there's like a picture of like, you know, not her, but her, her family's family. It's like a very, it just, I think I, I haven't asked enough questions. And I think that that's, that's where I've, that's something I would like to do more of is just like asking the questions. Cause I think I've sort of expected that like my parents will just sort of offer up those stories, but like, why would they, you know, like when <laughs> there's no context for them too, we don't have a family history of sharing those stories, but you're, you're actually sitting, well, not you, but your face, <laughs> my computer, it feels like you, you're here. You're sitting on my paternal grandmother's like sewing hutch. Beautiful. Yeah. So I've been, I've been, you know, I used to open up the drawers and I often find things that I'm like, this is clearly not from back then. And it's because when I was a little kid, I used to like shove my trinkets. (laughs) I was such a funny little similar to you with this like kind of materiality, just interested in the way that things feel. I would just sort of like shove little things inside of there. So I like recently opened one of the drawers and it had a piece of like polyester baby blue like satin that I had I like sewed a pillowcase out of it when I was like eight or something love it (laughs) so funny I don't know I actually was that that's something I've been curious about with you too is like is materials materiality I know you do tons of really interesting sourcing of your materials you have a a quilt you've made of of these amazing spoons like you kind of will take us on these walks around your neighborhood where you're finding you know as we all have in our different, like if you live in a city, most likely you've, you've walked past the piles of like people moving and putting their stuff on the street. And sometimes there are textiles there. And I'd love to hear more about materials for you. Materials. <laughs> we could talk for an hour just on materials. <laughs> I would say as a first pass of that answer is that I work almost primarily with repurposed materials, mm. right? We'll start there. So be it old clothes, old bed linens, found fabric in the streets, all kinds of things, right? But I work with repurposed materials. And I didn't start that way uh, when I first started quilting coming up on 10 years ago. I'm going to have an anniversary soon. I'm excited about that. Uh, When I first started quilting, I I would go to the fabric shop and I would spend an agonizing hour or two looking at all the bolts on the wall and trying to like come up with my color palette and then I would be very conservative with how many how much yardage I bought because it was expensive and then I'd get home and I'd be too afraid to cut into it because it was expensive and I just like it was just a very fraught experience for me on, on many levels and then on top of all that I began to sense and learn that Textile, the textile industry is rough on our planet. Mm. And more and more, I just could not abide the thought that me doing what I love and pursuing the life that I want to pursue, I couldn't abide the thought that that would be harmful to the place that I live. And so from then on, I have worked primarily with repurposed materials for that reason. I also think concurrent to that idea, I love what Ann Truitt says, the artist Ann Truitt, the sculptor, mm. who she she's known for making these human-sized square sculptures that are painted in bands of colors out of wood. And someone asked, I'm sure many someone's asked her, why do you work with wood and not metal or glass or acrylic or something? And she says she likes wood because it has the lifespan of a human being for the most part. 
you know? And I think the same could be said about quilts, especially quilts made from natural fibers. If you make a quilt and then you use that quilt and you treat it well, it'll last about as long as you do. And I think there's just something kind of beautiful about those two timelines trotting along together. So I think about that with natural fibers. You you reference the spoon quilt. The spoon quilt is actually hanging right over the computer that I'm oh, looking cool. at you at. Yeah. So I'm sitting on your great-grandma's sewing hutch and you're sitting under my spoon quilt. How about that? <laughs> and so the spoon quilt, for folks that haven't seen it, looks like just a bunch of spoons sewn down to a quilt. It's about two feet by three feet, and they're very colorful spoons. And here is the story behind it, because I was in Mexico. This would have been 2015, 2016, somewhere in that neighborhood. And as I often do when I travel, I like to make travel quilts. And so I will just find fabric as I'm wherever I'm at, start sewing it together in little pieces. I often travel by myself because I am a teacher, and so I have the summers off. and not everybody's schedule lines up with that, you know? And so when one travels on their own, I find that I often have sometimes expansive hours of free time. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Might as well sit on a park bench and sew. And so travel quilts are just kind of a natural evolution of, of that. And so I was there sewing all these found fabrics together and I made this really pretty patchwork top and include like fabrics that people had given me like the host that I was staying with had given me some fabric when she learned what I was doing and some that I'd gotten from a a tailor that was in the neighborhood where I was staying you know all all sorts of stuff and it was such a pretty quilt while I was working on this quilt though in all hand sewn mind you right like there's some work that went into this it's work that should be shown off it's so so nice while I was working on this project though I'm also wandering the streets of Guanajuato in Mexico and I'm seeing all these little plastic spoons on the ground And not just like normal spoons, they're like really colorful and really cute. And they look like toys and they catch your eye and they just look like so much fun. And they're meant for eating ice cream. And I found myself just getting so irate with the ice cream spoon industry, among others, (laughs) for making these objects that look so appealing and so playful that are disposable that will still be around 500 years from now. And then just seeing them strewn all over the ground. I'm like, oh, somebody's got to do something about this. (laughs) So me, here I was, a gringo wandering around Guanajuato. I had my little baggie and I was just walking around picking up dirty helado spoons. I'd wash them. So folks listening at home, don't worry. I just (laughs) wash. And I brought them back. And when I had finished the quilt, right? I had the batting and the whole thing, whole nine yards. When I was finished, then I started attaching the spoons to the quilt. And I had so many spoons that you can now no longer see the quilt underneath. Mm. And I feel like there's something very appropriate in that, that if we don't reconsider our current levels of consumption, that the things that we love about this place will soon be crowded out. And so I just think, oh, that I, I didn't plan it that way, but it sure is. <laughs> it just came together real nice. And I, and I like that. I would also say too, that it's the only acoustic quilt that I've ever made, mm. right? There's this, when you take this quilt, you can kind of shimmy it back and forth. And it has this really lovely, soft tick-tock of a wind chime or something. I don't know what, but it's just really beautiful. And it makes me think that I should display it somewhere where it's always moving or in front of a fan or something, because I've never made an acoustic quilt, but 
there's a line. If, if anybody at home wants to explore that idea, take it and run with it. Quilts that make noises. Yes, a friend of a friend of mine named Lauren McDonald, who's a who who's. Uh, work is called working cloth. She like made a an interactive textile cube, like a patchworked cube that she used conductive thread. And when you the human body, like when you press on one of the edges of it, and then you press on another edge, like you create you you complete the conductive circuit. And I'm butchering some of the language here, but it's like there's circuitry involved, and if those things aren't touching, the circuit doesn't isn't complete. But if they are touching through whatever means, and like we're mostly water, so I think that that's part of how it conducts, then the circuit was complete. And she actually worked with a friend of hers to like create a sonic landscape that you could play on her quilt. It was really cool. I'm writing that down. I'm on the Yeah, it's super cool. I think she also explored that with a school, like with kids explaining what they liked about their school. And you could like press different parts of the quilt and hear hear like the sounds of the playground and hear these these kids talking. Yeah, which I'm like now I'm yeah. <laughs> like this feels like got my synapses should... fire with that yeah, one. Yeah, you guys should talk. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely look into that. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff I want to respond to about that, but I actually, I really want to make sure I leave a little bit of time to hear about the way that you approach day job work and artistic practice and your balancing of that. I know that's like a really big question, but I had no idea that you were a teacher until very recently. I think you mentioned it and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't like, I just sort of, you know, as we do, as we are one to do on the internet, I'm like, oh, this person must be doing that thing full time. And I don't podcast full time, but I think sometimes people think I do. And I'm, I try to be really explicit about like, no, <laughs> I do not really earn money from this. I earn a very small amount of money that I mostly use to pay my wonderful producer. And otherwise I work a full time nine to five. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It's a balance. And yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm thankful that folks can't see these bags under my eyes because I feel like I'm working two full-time jobs at once a lot of uh-huh. days. For the last several years, for the last, I would say five years or so, I have been planning to transition out of teaching and into full-time textile work. The pandemic kind of sped that up just a little bit, perhaps. Mm. So now it's looking like in the next Sometime in the next 12 months that I will stop teaching. I will leave the classroom and I will walk into my future. And I'm excited about that because right now, like the the day-to-day now is a lot. Like, you know, I'm sitting here. I never leave home without this little planner that I got right here in my hand. And every day I got my task and that's on top of the work task and the teaching task, you know, and I'm squeezing in things on my lunch break. And then I come home and I work on textile stuff for another few hours Mm. And like just on Friday, I, I was on my lunch break. And it was a beautiful day at the park, and I was sitting at the park, and I was like, "I don't have anything to do right now." Like not pressing. I mean, there were all there's always things you can do, but there's nothing immediate. And I was like, "When was the last time I felt this way?" Mm. And I, honest to God, couldn't remember. <laughs> you know, like I just could not remember. It makes me think of what my friend Wade Cavanaugh says, who is also an artist, a sculptor, and he says the best part about working for yourself is getting to decide which eighty hours a week you want to work. <laughs> you know. And so right now I feel like I'm working way too much, but I I see that coming to an end and it'll all be worth it when we get there. Yeah. It's a really interesting one because I think I have found that like for me, some of trying to like do a creative practice on a time crunch feels really hard and feels really scary and feels like I'm punishing myself. (laughs) And so for me, it's taken like a number of years of like trying out monetizing 
different aspects of things and then being like, Ooh, quick walk that bum back. Like that felt real bad, <laughs> but there's this complicated walk of like, well, how do you find, I mean, for me, it's been this interesting thing of like, how do I find uh, a work environment that like is humane, <laughs> like gives me reasonable hours off, gives me time off, maybe provides me health insurance, yeah. you know, these sorts of okay. things that like uh-huh. kind of make sure that basic needs are being met, but also that I don't think is doing net negative in the world. You know, I think it's really a challenge to find, I think like, I don't know, I've had a few conversations about this lately with people where I feel like the like millennial generation was kind of like sold this narrative of like, follow your passion, go for your dream. And then you'll never work a day in your life. Like you will be able to do that thing. And and I just lately, you know, over a number of years, I guess the entirety of my twenties, basically, I've been sort of stepping that back to like, okay, well, what if instead it was like, here's a practical, like, you know, day job thing that I, I find intellectually inspiring who, where like the people I'm working with are kind, nice to work with folks. And where I'm like, great, I close the computer at five o'clock and I, I don't touch it again until Monday or whatever, you know, like, I don't know. I like, I, I haven't found that perfect balance. I've, I'm, I feel I'm inching closer to it. And in, in, in finding new jobs, I feel like I kind of am like putting that a little more front and center as I, as I interview and as I accept the role where it's like, I have a boundary and it's here that I'm trying to stick to. And, you know, like obviously things get pushed. And when you care, if you're a caring person, it's easy to end up like caring a lot about all of the things, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I can imagine particularly in, in teaching would be 100%. Yeah. I'm exhausted at the end of the day. I'm yeah. trying to love my children. It's just way too much. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. way I would, one way that has been helpful for me to frame the last several years of working full-time and doing creative work yeah. is I have referred to myself as my own patron, right? Like I have a job that allows me to produce creatively. It's pay, it is paying the way. I am my own patron. Right. And so framing it like that was really helpful. I would also say that I am wrapping up my 18th year of teaching. Wow. And I I started teaching. I mean, if we really want to go back, I went to, I became a teacher because I thought I was going to be a missionary. Ooh, that's a whole oh, other wow. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And so then when I became a teacher, I was like, oh, I'll just do this till I figure out what it is I want to do. I no longer want to be a missionary, but I'll just stick with teaching until I figure out what it is I want to do. That took about 13 years, right? So anybody who's yeah. listening is like, I don't know what to do. Don't like whatever. Like just keep doing your thing. In a sense, follow your passion, but also don't expect it to happen overnight. Just because right. you're excited about something doesn't mean that the universe is just going to open the door for you. You might have to work at it for about 18 years before. That, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, and I like that a lot. I really like talking to people who are at different points in their careers. And, you know, I just, I feel like there's something to just like being willing to continue to show up to the thing. You know, it's like, Something that I'm doing at my job is like we have like a getting to know your coworkers session like once every couple of weeks where where each person pre- presents like a 30 minute presentation on something that's not work related and it is darling like it is so tender and people share about their the sport that they do on the weekends or their families or it's just like it's really really sweet and I was like thinking about like oh god I have to like sum up the like the things for this presentation and I was like summing up my kind of arc of like fiber art you know I'm being like I I am you know loosely just very interested in fiber and like 
kind of talking through like I have a podcast, you know, and I'm I'm going back through my own history and I'm looking at pictures of things I was knitting when I was in like early college. So I was 18 or 19 or something. And like, it's so ugly and terrible. Like it's so bad. And I'm, I have so much compassion and tenderness towards this like early adulthood person who is trying to like navigate school and relationships and and an expanding world of view for like really the first time and also being a person who feels a lot all the time and experiences anxiety you know just working with textiles as a medium and seeing how it was like oh okay the how i am doing whatever it is that i'm doing you know running a podcast or whatever it is, all this stuff is, is like, I just kept kind of being interested. Like I was like, just kind of get, I think it might even be like Julia Child or something who's like, stay tremendously interested in it. You know, just sort of find the thing that you're interested in and then stay interested in it. And I I know it's not quite that simple. Like there are lots of parts of making that are frustrating or I don't like or that I don't want to do all the time. And I think that there's room for that too, for sort of being like, actually, I really don't feel like doing this and I don't have to push through that feeling to like make something. But I think there's something, it's special to reflect on your own history to be like, okay, yeah, it took 18 years to figure out that thing. Or I started a podcast and I, you know, I I hope that I, it's been about six or seven years since I started, you know, seven years since I recorded like the actual first episode, but I have a hope that like, maybe I'll be in my fifties recording conversations with people. And it might not look like this, but like, I hope I get to keep having really interesting, like these conversations I'm always so nervous before them. I'm like, oh God, it's a Sunday. Why did I decide to do this? And then we have them. And afterwards, I'm this like buzzing ball of energy of just like, oh, right. Because people in the world are excited about textiles and I want to hear from them. And not only that, but you have experience to share back. Yeah, right? thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks. That's sweet. Yeah, it always it's always a funny thing where I... I don't, I don't necessarily always see that, you know, and it's nice to have that. It's really, really nice to have that reflected back. And when folks are like, Hey, you also make things. I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess I do. Cause I just, then you have stories, you have experiences to share, you know, like I'm technically the guest on the show, but you also are here. This is a conversation. Yeah. When you, when you think back to your earliest projects, like the ugly knits that you were talking about, Mm -hmm. you see any thread of continuity between what you're doing now and those early projects? That's a really good question. I I see a ton of continuity in the sewing that I've done and like the color palette. Mm-hmm. I noticed that I tried to patchwork together a pillowcase out of naturally dyed fabrics like five or six years ago. And the dress that I'm wearing, the one that I like referred to as a stained glass dress is almost identical in terms of the the like coloring and some of the construction thoughts. But it's like, way better constructed. I'm like, I learned how to do French seams and I learned how to use my iron. Like, <laughs> Just mm-hmm. things that I think most people who are in the sewing community, I think are super basic. It took me a really long time to get comfortable. I still don't feel super comfortable with my sewing machine, but it really took me a number of years of just sort of like making really awful seams on various tiny projects to eventually be like, I'm comfortable with this. But the knitting is really interesting because I I think that most of my early knitting was like really um, bound by skill. And it was like, I didn't know how to 
knit in the round or like that stuff just like was so far fetched for me that I was like, oh, okay, I see now by like seeing other people making things on the internet that I could take the skills that I have of like knitting a flat thing, knitting a scarf or whatever. And I could theoretically like, you know, cast on a few more stitches for arms <laughs> mm-hmm. and then, and then, you know, the same way you would construct a garment, like a sewn garment, I realized like, oh, right. You could seam together pieces of fabric. And that was like a really big kind of explosion in my brain of like, oh, I can, I like, I really felt at the time that I had very limited skills when it came to knitting, but the fact that I could like take flat things and sew them together with a, you know, with needle and thread from a like thick thread from the actual yarn, that was really big for me. But that's actually such an interesting question. And I think a lot of my like knitting experience has developed through material, like through questions about materials and like the stuff I made really early on. I learned quickly. I was like, I don't like the way cotton feels in my hands to work with. I don't like this, like, you know, this chunky yarn that's really trendy. This doesn't work for my climate. There were like these learning, these like really utilitarian learnings quickly because it was like something I wanted to wear. So I feel like knitting for me keeps being this like that exploration towards like making something that feels like really utilitarian that I'll wear a lot Mm -hmm. and that like explores my kind of the way I want to be in relationship with the world in terms of like materials and like the animals and the people who made the things that's a really interesting question. I'm not sure. I don't, I didn't really answer it, but (laughs) no, I think it's a fascinating question. And I love, I've talked about that with a few folks because I feel like there's so much hope. I've never heard somebody respond to that question in which they say, no, there's no similarities. Like I'm a totally different person, right? right? Like there are always nuggets of some core identity in those early projects that remain Mm -hmm. true. And I feel that that is encouraging to artists and makers to read realize that even if you're looking at you're just learning something new whatever it may be if you're not entirely happy with it that's okay because the heart of it is still true and will remain true you continue to develop it yeah yeah I I think the the first quilt that I ever made was none of the corners matched and I was so frustrated about that because I thought corners had to match back then and it was just ugly in my mind it was just ugly it's a very humble gift it was a baby quilt for a friend And and it really was like I was humbled to give it because it was, I was not hundred percent excited about it. But when I look back at that quilt, I had used some repurposed materials and that the fact that all the corners didn't match became something that I began to embrace. And then that was led me to improv quilting that I do more of now. And I just think there, back there in that very first quilt, those are the seeds of what grew into something that I'm now exploring today. Yeah. That's actually such a great point. Cause I was thinking recently about how I tried to naturally dye a piece of fabric, which was maybe not even entirely natural fibers. I don't remember for my like thesis advisor when I was in college in Australia, or I spent like a summer in Australia or their winter, regrettably. But I tried to dye it with like beets because I thought like, oh, beets are beets always stain my fingers. Like this has got to work. And I didn't know anything about mordants or this, that, and the other. And I gave her this like piece of fabric, like this really awful piece of fabric, which I hope she'll forgive me for because it was really bad. It was like really ugly. And I and I knew that at the time that like I had something in mind, but I couldn't, I couldn't execute it. And that's still true for me in some ways, where like there's I still can't quite execute exactly maybe what I had in mind. But I also think that 
working in a more improvisational style, which I've done with quilting, which has led me to improvisational clothes making, <laughs> has has left room for that kind of like, well, I didn't have a vision for this originally. So this is how it came out. And and that's okay. And like, okay, maybe I learned that this thing, this thing that I did didn't actually sit very well on my body. But like, okay, I think I can probably take a little bit out and fix that or use that as learning for another project or you know, I love about knitting that you can unravel it and try again. Like I feel this way, like you were talking about with like fabrics. I pretty much don't buy fabric because I, it stresses me out way too much to think about like cutting into something that's expensive. Like the dress I'm wearing is made of a target bed sheet. Like it's, <laughs> it's not nice, quote unquote, nice fabric, but I actually like the way it feels because I like the way like crisp cotton bedding feels. And, you know, it's made me a lot less scared to try it. And that permission that the material gives you right. is invaluable. Yeah. Zach, it's great to have you here. I, I'd love to sort of finish up with like what you're feeling excited about or, or what's kind of on the horizon for you in the nearish, nearish future. Well, I am excited about this brand new chapter that I am embarking on. You know, we're still working out some logistics, my partner and I, but I am ready to leave teaching. Mm -hmm. I am ready for future and full-time textiles. I am ready to collaborate with people on memory quilts and burial quilts and all kinds of quilty projects. But I feel like I am uniquely poised as an artist to work with people on memory quilts and burial quilts because of just something about who I am and my constitution. I just feel like that's something that I can offer of service and of good to the world. And so I'm excited about being able to live a life that allows me to expend my energy, time, and talents in a way that can be helpful to other people. Yeah. So that's what I'm excited about. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Ani. This has been really nice. I was, I've been in the studio all morning sewing, and I've been, after about four hours, I kind of max out, you know, yeah. and I'm, just, oh, I'm so exhausted. Let me go talk to, get this interview done, and then whatever, I'll, like, I'll just take a nap. But now I'm so excited, and I'm ready to go back and sew. So this has been a real treat. Oh, good. Yeah, I feel excited, too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. The Close Knit Podcast is hosted by me, Ani Lee. A huge thank you to Andrew Bruce for writing podcast theme music that makes me genuinely smile every time I hear it. And giant thanks to my amazing producer, Amelia Harubi. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash close knit.